0: Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands, I am your host, and today is our fifth annual year in review, the top 10 albums of 2020. Now this year has been an epic clusterfuck in every way imaginable, except we managed to get some great new releases from many of my favorite artists, some of which were guests on the show this year. We're gonna go through about 30 minutes of honorable mentions, and then we'll get into the top 10. Stay tuned. All right, so the first thing I'd like to do, whether or not these people had a new album out this year, is just shout out our guests for the year, because this has been one of the best years for the podcast ever. I mean, uh, up until the last episode, we we had been on schedule dropping a new release every other week, just uh, right on point with, with some really great guests, and I was... It was a great honor, honestly, to speak with so many of my favorite artists, so huge shout-out to Mike and Paul from Death by Stereo, Robert Rios from Ireken Productions, Ty and Josh from Broadway Calls, Lou from Sick of It All on our 75th episode, Jason Livermore from The Blasting Room, Casual from Hieroglyphics, Illogic, Jason from Judo Pony, Jello Biafra and Yotam from Useless ID. I really appreciate all of you. I don't know if any of you are listening today, but uh, know that uh, I, I really loved speaking with all of you. So, before I get into the honorable mentions, I will just recap my own year of releases. I had a couple of things out that I'm really proud of. Um, not all of them made it to the uh, streaming services and whatever. So I know that's how most people consume their music these days. So. I did want to shout out, first of all, in January, I wrote and recorded most of a record that came out in the spring. It was called Fighting Words, and that's just by me, Sammy Warmhands. It's a a rap mixtape of some verses that I had uh recorded for other artists and uh the songs never came out so I kind of took them back then I wrote a bunch of new stuff and I kind of made new songs out of all of it and so some of them are stolen beats some of them are my originals some of them are our friends and I don't know I think it's a really good mixtape I think it's my best mixtape and I was just trying to keep the the pen sharp while I uh you know had a bunch of other things going on in my life. So I, I think it's a really, really strong release. And um, you can get it at my Bandcamp at take 92.com. But it wasn't available on streaming just because of uh, some concerns about copyright, you know, like, I don't mind using people's uh, beats for a free project. But if you start putting it out there everywhere, that can get you into trouble, I think, and I don't want it to get taken down or get myself in hot water. So the second release of the year was the Outtakes EP from Dead Fucking Serious. We came along the one-year anniversary of our second full-length album, Peril, in uh, July. And I thought, well, since, you know, Kellen's got a baby, we got a pandemic on top of that, you know, there's no way we can get together and make a video or do anything new for peril to celebrate the anniversary and so maybe let's release some of the songs that we cut you know when i basically teach the song to kellen at practice and we come up with the arrangement for it i always record that and we make a demo out of that and so that's where all of our demos come from that pre-production is from the first practice where we learn the song together and so i had three songs from those very first takes and, you know, the performances were rough because we were still figuring it out. But the uh, tracks were actually pretty good. And so I thought it was something worth sharing. We didn't promote it a hell of a lot. We didn't put it out on the streaming stuff because it's not technically a, a new album or anything. So it's just kind of for uh, anybody who follows the band and wanted to check it out. So the Outtakes EP, you can also get that at Take92.com. I really think the the lead song is strong. That was one that we were really on the fence about. It was in the final track list up until, I don't know, days or maybe a week before we actually recorded everything. And so it was very close to making the album Peril. I think it's good, and it leads off uh, this EP really nicely. The last thing was uh, an album called Paper Mountains, and we did a whole episode on that uh, for my old band Judo Pony. If you're curious in that backstory... It was a full interview that we did about it. But in a nutshell, 2020 marked the release of an album that uh, I recorded all my parts for in 2011. And so it it was something I never thought would actually come. And I was really, really proud of it. And so it felt really good to finally get that out there. So check out Judo Pony, Paper Mountains. You can purchase the uh, CD for this one at take92.com. You can also get that on the uh, streaming sites if you, uh, you know, want to check it out before you then buy it. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of which, I listened back to last year's uh, episode. I harped a little too much on the uh, formats and releases and stuff. So if I mention that stuff, just know that when I listen to music, it is on a hard copy. I have been collecting CDs for, I don't know, 25 years or something, and so that's just how I listen to music. And so sometimes, if an album is only put out digitally, like, uh, you know, the Outtakes EP or Fighting Words stuff I just mentioned, I am probably not going to hear it, or I might listen to it one time on on Bandcamp or on YouTube. You know, it won't really be part of my collection, so that's my preface. If I didn't uh, get to dig into an album too much, it's likely because there was no um, physical release, so... I'm going to get into the honorable mentions here with a couple of projects that I love the artists, but I just, I didn't really hear. So just a shout out, you know, if you're listening and you you weren't familiar, there's new releases out by Body Count, Open Mike Eagle, and Sadistic. These are all artists I've followed for a long time, and I just didn't get around to it. So that's on me. I heard some tracks from Elysium, from Sadistic, and uh, I, I liked what I heard. It was um, less modern trappy production it sounded more like sort of classic sadistic and and his his flows and patterns are always really exciting the body count carnivore record i listened to the uh, singles they put out and i really liked them but um you know body counts one of those bands that's like uh i have their last two albums and when i'm in the mood for that i put it on but i'll check it out down the road i'm sure you know when we get back to uh record stores and uh i can dig through the uh, the used bins I look for good deals, you know. Uh, that's how I get my music every year. And this is the first time ever where all of my releases, I think 100% of my releases, came in the mail. So pretty sad, but, you know, we adapt. Pay a little bit extra in shipping costs, but, um, you know, for the most part, still picking up those records on release day. A couple others here from uh, favorites of mine, Aesop Rock, Spirit World, Field Guide. That was a similar situation where I've been listening to Ace since Labor Days in high school, and I love his stuff. I really liked his last album, The Impossible Kid. I thought that was maybe his best or one of his best. For whatever reason, I just wasn't in that headspace when it dropped. I checked out, like, I think half of a single. I was like, yeah, that's Aesop Rock. (laughs) It just didn't hit me like, oh, yeah, I need this. That's another one I'll probably come to later. Vanguard is a new project from Mr. Liff and Stu Bangers, who I'm not familiar with. But Mr. Liff was uh, Def Jook's artist, you know, LP's label back in the day. And a uh, really big influence on me, especially when I was writing... Death of a Salesman with The Illusionists. I heard uh, uh, one or two singles from Vanguard, and it was really, really fucking good. But I keep checking his Instagram, see if he's going to uh, post that, because they said it was coming. So uh, I'm really looking forward to checking out Vanguard from Mr. Liff and Stu Bangus. Leo London, good friend of mine. We've had him on the show before. He had a, uh, a full band project called Beauty Contest and um, had some new songs and redo some older songs that he had done solo on... Uh, Montgomery Park EP. I think there's a couple songs from that. Uh, Redone is like a full band. So, pretty cool project. But uh, again, it was only like a Bandcamp release or streaming release. And so, I think I only heard it maybe uh, once or twice uh, on my computer. Uh, Haley Johnson is an artist that I met through Leo. And she released uh, Live from Abbey Road CD, which is uh, really, really good. I had picked up her full length last year. I think it was called Golden Days. It was good. It was really well done, but it didn't quite hit me the way that her first EP had. And the Live from Abbey Road session is really, really good. It opens with this song, Lift Me Up, that was uh, one of the real standouts from when I first got to see her. And then it didn't make the album that came out afterward. I was really bummed. And so it was super cool that she got to uh, actually record a proper version of that that i can own that wasn't just like a, a you know youtube single so really really like that song really really like that record another one is mr bungle which is a band who's way too weird for me and gabe has been trying to get me a list of them forever gabe if you don't know is uh, my partner from the Illusionists. he's always tried to get me into this stuff he's into more like proggy experimental shit and i just never could but then this year after like 21 years i think since they've had a release they decided to re-record their original songs from their first demo. They got Scott Ian from Anthrax and Dave Lombardo from Slayer and made this awesome, huge-sounding speed metal record that, you know, usually if somebody sends me a, a YouTube video of somebody that I don't really listen to, you know, They got about 30 seconds, maybe a minute, to prove to me that, like, I want to listen to this uh, whole song, because there's just so much content all the time, you know? That was one where I think the video was, like, seven or eight minutes long or something, and I was like, okay, this is pretty good, and then the vocals came in, and with metal, I'm always, like, on the fence. But then by the time it got into, like, the second verse of the chorus or something, I was like, okay, okay, I'm coming around on this. This actually pretty good. And before I knew it, it was, like, you know, the end of a seven-minute song. And then their next single was the same thing. And I really couldn't get enough. So um, Gabe actually ordered me this uh, record for Christmas. And uh, so it's it's shipping to me now. I haven't heard the whole thing, but I'm pretty excited, to because, you know, Slayer broke up, so um, this is definitely right up that alley, and I'm a big fan of that stuff when the vocals are right, and uh, this one really won me over. So excited for Mr. Bungle. It's called The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny, and it's dropping just in time for Christmas, so put that in your stockings, kids. Casual was a guest of the show, and uh, he dropped one of his very best solo records this year. It's called Big Head Science. And if you listen to the interview, we talked about how he's coming up with creative ways to reinvent himself in the streaming age and how to uh, adapt and survive in these times. And so one of those things was he put out this album... Digitally, and all the streaming places like normal. But if you want to just support him, you can download the album for $100. Now, that is a cool idea, and I know a lot of his fans did that, but I don't listen to music on my phone. I don't like that. Good example is when one of my favorite bands dropped an album this year, and they had a whole bunch of singles leading up to it. And I watched the first one, I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool, but like you're limiting with those tiny phone speakers, I mean, they sound great these days, but you're really limiting the experience of what it actually sounds like. And so for that to be your first impression, for me, it lowers the bar. And sometimes I'll be like, yeah, this is okay. This is pretty good. And then when I get the CD, I'll put it on my stereo, crank it up, you know, you have subwoofers and everything. And it's like, whoa, this is way better than I thought, especially like hip hop, you know, like you want that shit to knock, you know, you want the bass to really come through. And so, with this project, I listened to it on Bandcamp several times, uh, some in preparation for the interview and some just because it was really, really good, just excellent fucking wordplay. I mean, the kind of shit that you hear it, and as a rapper, as a writer, it just makes your brain start Free associating words and you know coming up with your own shit is just one of those that really gets the juices flowing creatively. So, Big Head Science, great record, didn't make my list just because uh, I didn't listen to it too many times on the Bandcamp website. Plural One, solo project from Josh Klinghoffer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Josh is a guest I tried to get on the show actually, and um, he was he was booked up with the other press, but he dropped. A solo record one year ago under the name Plural One. It was right on the heels of the announcement that he was uh, being replaced in the Red Hot Chili Peppers by John Freshante, and he was back. This happened like right before the pandemic when all of a sudden no one could play together. And it was a very sudden thing that must have really, really, really hurt to be kind of kicked out of your family all of a sudden because. Old dad is back, so stepdad is gone. Get out of here, you know. And uh, he was in the band for a long time. But right afterward, he dropped this beautiful solo record. You know, sort of like Radiohead in Rainbows sort of vibe, if that makes any connection to you. But I, I really enjoyed it. And then this fall, he dropped a new one, I believe in October, called I Don't Feel Well. You know, it's all music that he made during the pandemic and while everything's locked down. And for me it is a very emotional record that captures the anxiety that i and everyone else is feeling during this time and so if i'm sort of feeling rainy day blues or whatever i'll put on i don't feel well you know it's spacey it's got a lot of uh, falsetto vocals josh has a really really unique voice if you've never heard him it's it's great um he got jack irons from the chili peppers to play on some tracks, uh, just phenomenal grooves on there. Josh is a great drummer in his own right. Uh, Really enjoyed this, highly recommend Plural One, I Don't Feel Well. We're going into punk rock here. Strike Anywhere, one of my favorite melodic hardcore bands. And they kind of opened the doors for me. I think it was freshman year in high school, I first heard Strike Anywhere on their first album and Rise Against on their first album. Just around the same time that I just got into good riddance and it's powerful music, political lyrics, screaming and singing together, really fast tempos. And this is a band who has just been consistent and never put out a bad album. They took a long hiatus. I think their last album was in 2009. I was really excited when this came out. No more side projects and spin offs, but the real thing, Strike Anywhere is Back. They were with their original producer, Brian McTernan. Uh, another guest I reached out to uh, just haven't been able to schedule yet for the show. Man, it's a great sounding record. It's short. I think it's only uh, six or seven songs, something like that. Maybe that's really the only reason I didn't play it quite as much, just because it's uh, just a, a shorty. I mean, you can listen to it twice in a row, but it's really good. Solid release, I think really just as a producer songwriter type it sort of felt like the music was written separately there's these vocals that are clearly just like poems there's no gaps for music anywhere it's just filling every constant second with uh, lyrics and so uh, there's definitely a lot to say on this record it's very well executed there was just A little bit something maybe rusty in terms of the structure of it. But sounds great. All the energy's there. Yeah, really fantastic release. Next one is one of my favorite, most influential artists of all time. I'm kind of amazed this isn't in my top 10 because I listened to it a shitload this year. More than most. But this is Eminem, music to be murdered by. Production-wise, it's probably his most consistent In a long time, you know, the Eminem that came out with recovery, I want to say in 2009, right around there. Ever since then, he's been doing a much more technical, you know, complex patterns, sort of style with his rapping. And I find it really exciting and really just stimulating mentally to listen to it. But since then, he has been very conscious about applying that to sort of a pop format. And so production wise, I haven't really been a fan of his music since uh, even Encore, which was a bad album, but the beats were still really good. It's coming from that Eminem and Dr. Dre and Bass Brothers sort of time. And so this one feels more cohesive as a solid piece of music. The rhyming is on another level. I'm absolutely in love with it i love 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 the verses on this record i love the features on this record you've got royce the five nine and black thought i mean it's really really good there are some whack features honestly i, th- I thought it was funny for as much as he shits on mumble rap and stuff like track two opens with and i know he's like dead and so people that feel a certain way about it but like track two opens right away with a mumble rapper like who can barely fucking talk just like a oh, whatever You know, and then like a minute 20 into that song, Eminem starts going off and rapping his ass off. It's like, I don't know how these two things fucking go together, but sure. What I don't like about this record are things like that where it goes to pop and almost every song has some auto-tune-ass pop chorus like, you know, he's had since recovery and, you know, there are... Just so many great moments. I think it's like 20 songs on this record. A lot of good stuff in there. But if I'm honest, I forgive so many of his flaws just because of how long I've been a fan. This is not a style of music that I want to listen to. But if you maybe just took his vocals and made a remix (laughs) record, fuck yeah, this is the best release of the year or something. You know, Really, really great lyricism on this record. Next one, and these two are kind of interchangeable, Two long-time favorites of mine as well. The Dixie Chicks are now going by The Chicks, which is cool. It makes sense. And I appreciate the sentiment there. I personally don't do well with uh, name changes and call people the same shit regardless, so they're still The Dixie Chicks to me. In fact, that's what's on my pre-order. It's what's on the CD. Uh, they didn't get it changed fast enough. But the album is called Gaslighter. I have a major soft spot for these guys it's also amazing this isn't in my top 10. I consider taking the long way one of my all-time favorite albums I buy all their side projects I have multiple live DVDs I mean I'm a fan
1: I celebrate the guys entire catalog
0: and when I heard that they were finally getting back together that's pretty crazy I was really really excited but then I saw that they were in Jack Antonoff's studio, and this dude is responsible for some of the biggest bubblegum chart toppers in the last, I don't know, five ten years. Gaslighter is a very catchy, well-written album, but Jack sort of does what he did to Sarah Bareilles. He produced her album, The Blessed Unrest, or The Blessed Unrest. I don't know. That was her big, huge single, first big single since her debut, Love Song, and it was called Brave. And it was anthemic, it was everywhere, you know, fucking people dancing to it on Ellen and shit. It's on TV commercials. But that's not the kind of music that she makes. It didn't even make sense. And so that record was like so much of, I know there's a tangent, but hey, we're here to geek out about music, so that's what we're doing. So Jack Antonoff takes her style and makes... You know, four, five, six really big, overproduced, artificially fucked with and electronic elements added in. And then she immediately leaves that, goes on Broadway, and goes right back to what she does (laughs) normally. And so it was kind of weird. It's like, well, what is the goal here? Is it just to sell records? And that's kind of how I felt about Gaslighter. It's an earworm. It opens with that song, Gaslighter. And, uh... It's a divorce record and we get that right out of the gate and the lyrics are great. You know, there's a lot of heart in it, but it's also just so manufactured, you know, like every fucking little element in here. And, you know, I was reading through the booklet thinking, God, I wish they had like Chad Smith again on this because Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers, he played on that last Dixie Chicks album. And then I'm looking in the credits. He did play on, the song I was listening to while I thought that. And he was so buried in programmed drums that you couldn't even really tell his signature style. And I was like, oh man, this is such a bummer. And so I feel like if you were to just watch them perform any of these songs live, it'd be fucking awesome. And I listened to the album quite a bit. It's very catchy. It's very enjoyable. But some of it is just too much. The back half of the record, that's got some Dixie Chick songs. Acoustic Guitars. Strings, banjo, and beautiful harmonies. Phenomenal fucking harmonies. I mean, they just make my heart melt. Natalie is maybe my favorite singer alive. I just, uh, I love what they do. But much like the Sarah Bareilles record with Jack Antonoff, it is front-loaded with big, over-the-top pop songs, and then there's sort of some of the regular shit mixed in. So just a little uneven for me. Again, I listen to these guys forever, so I know how some of this shit has been sort of reverse engineered. Of Like, oh, okay, I hear uh, your ideas. I also know separately what a pop single is going to be. And so let me just run it through this filter, and uh, that's Gaslighter. So some really strong songs I'd highly recommend. There's a song for her son. Let me pull it up right here. I think it might be called Young Man. Yeah, Young Man in the uh, back end of the album is really, really good. Also, huge props to them for the March March video, which was made, I believe, in response to the uh, March for Our Lives, the kids from Parkland who were doing the anti-violence stuff, but also was very relevant when the George Floyd protests were going on. And I just love how fearless they are and how they do what they believe in. So. That's a lot to say for an album that's not in my top 10, but ah, I'm so conflicted about it. Next, we have Fiona Apple. I have loved Fiona for, I don't know, 15 plus years. Her last three albums have been way more grounded. If you go back to her third record, The Extraordinary Machine, she's still working with producer John Bryan, and this is what I first heard from her, The... Bootleg of the demos from that record. And it's phenomenal. It's just piano, bass drums, strings, and her voice. And when you actually buy that CD, it is produced by Mike Elizondo, who does everything from Dr. Dre to Avenge Sevenfold, and it's a much different vibe. But she followed that by going stripped down again. The Idler Wheel is another really great record that is just her doing her thing. It also got slightly too weird for me. The new one, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. It's like, think the first record in like eight years or something. It's right in that same vein. It is no producer. It's just her doing her thing. It's fantastic. I think it is probably the most just straight up Fiona uncut. It's great. It's a really honest record. There are some insane lines. I mean, the chorus of one of the songs that says, Good morning, good morning. You raped me in the same bed your daughter was born in. Like, holy shit. Really, really heavy. Really well done record. Definitely the uh, vibe that I most like from her. But it's one of those you just got to be in the right mood. But, man, some of the instrumentation is fantastic. I think Shamika is just... Brilliant with the the keys and the drums, the way they groove together is just uh, fantastic. So highly recommend Fiona Apple Fetch the Bolt Cutters. This concludes our honorable mentions. All right. How are we doing on time? About a half hour. Pretty good. Okay. We're going to get to uh, a lot more guests of the show here, I think. Coming in at number 10 is Jello Biafra in the Guantanamo School of Medicine. Tea Party Revenge Porn. I think that this is a just all-around strong album. It's got that cutting sense of humor. It's got the energy, big guitars, but it also has epic arrangements and genre twists and surprises, and it's really, really good. I'm still waiting on that pre-order because I know Jello said the manufacturing was going to take a while alternative tentacles was kind enough to send me in advance of it so i could be familiar before the interview so i do have that that i was able to burn and listen to quite a bit really strong record funny songs like no more selfies where he's he's making fun of all these guys who are like oh this one's blurry or i always take three pictures or all this stuff and then he drives it home by saying that they get their picture and then they never look at it again And then he also has a lot of the, uh, you know, political ideas that he was bringing to our uh, conversation the other day about, you know, much in the way that uh, we... Created ISIS, you know that we created Putin, and that uh, a lot of this new age fascism, authoritarianism that's going around has been growing for a while, not just with Trump. And so it's a smart record, but it's a funny record, and it's great energy. So it's everything you want from Jello. I think the version I got is either unmastered or like a rough mix or something like that. So it's a little inconsistent production-wise, but. I'm looking forward to the final cut because I know that they were still working on that at the time that I got my copy. So check out Tea Party Revenge Porn from Jello Biafra and the Guantanamo School of Medicine. Next up is another guest on the show, Broadway Calls, Sad in the City. This is their first release since 2013, I believe. And Comfort Distraction, their third album was... I feel the pinnacle of the band, you know, they had been grinding hard for a long time, album tour, album tour, album tour, you know, they were just on top of their game. They got Adam back in the band as a bass player and doing harmonies. And I just felt like that was riding all that momentum to kind of the crest, you know, and and that was a really fantastic album. They've been gone for a long time. I got to catch up with them last summer. We got to talk again uh, when this was coming out and this is a much different record they didn't go with the blasting room like they had in the last couple records which you know are my favorites their favorites we geeked out about that stuff a lot they you know went back to the place where they recorded their first full length and they were able to get a little more experimental and kind of push the boundaries a little bit and so this album is a little more dare I say, serious or topical. And I mean, the opening line itself is fantastic. We talked about this on the show, but the first words you hear are, if my country collapses, can I sleep on your couch? Um, It is immediately infectious and and fun to sing along to, as always, but uh, it's also a little darker, you know, like the song that opens with like the rich man's blood is... On my shirt, I'm glad that he's dead, and I hope it hurt. you know So it's a little bit of a darker one lyrically, and also musically, I mean, when they released Radiophobia I believe is the name of their single, the second single that they put out, Josh sent me the video, and I kind of was like, "This is the single." you're leading with this. I kind of couldn't believe it because it had such a dissonance to it and was a really uh, out-of-left-field style for them. And, you know, you think of them as, like, some upbeat three-chord sing-along stuff, and that one's got these almost, like, Billy Corgan smashing pumpkins, like, howling, weird, echoey, guitar solos that uh, screech, and, you know, it's just like a totally different vibe, and then I saw the visual, though, and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense, and it was all this old footage from, you know, nuclear warhead testing, and, and it actually reminded me, I told him of uh, Weird Al's Christmas at Ground Zero, you know, the way that they cut in the old archive footage, but once I saw that, I was like, okay, okay, this actually makes the song make more sense. And then when I heard the whole album in context, it flows really, really well. I know this was my wife's number one album on her... Uh, she listens to Spotify, and uh, it was her number one of the year. It's something that we play around the house quite a bit. You know, I love putting this on at dinner time and dancing around the kitchen a bit while I'm cooking. Um, really, really strong record from my dudes. This is uh, Sad in the City. I can't even see the name of this album written down without the melody playing in my head i know that they put a lot of time into simplifying the choruses to make it much more of a an earworm you know in the early beatles way of just stripping it down giving you that simple line and repeating it and uh, man another great song that's weird is there's a glow very strange distorted kind of vibe and then the chorus is just so fucking catchy it's uh, yeah, some really clever songwriting. You know, see some, some new sides of this band. So check out Broadway Calls, Sad in the City. Next band is, I'm not sure if I've talked about on this show before or not. They're a fat records band called Pairs. They dropped maybe five, six years ago, their first album, I think. It blew me away because it starts with gnarly feedback and fast, manic-sounding hardcore, and then switches into like super fast, no effects strung out sort of catchy chorus that's more like a skate punk thing and then goes right back to fucking crazy. And that album is all over the place in the best way. Their second one kind of pushed a little more in the melodic range, Green Star. And this one is a self-titled album. I really like the cover art for it. It's got this sort of white negative space and collage art, which is really cool. The only thing I don't like is that on the back is more of that and no track listing, so I'm less familiar with the song titles. But this is a band who is really inspiring to me. Like when I write DFS stuff, I love listening to these guys because the arrangements are so unexpected. They're so clever. It shifts gears so many times within a single song and never feels like showing off. It just feels like, you know, <laughs> these dudes are fucking crazy. This is what it sounds like in his head, you know? And I also really like these guys' sense of humor. There's a a song that is a tribute to uh, the singer's dead grandpa. It is a wild fucking song. It is not like a sad ballad, some crazy shit about peapaws coming to town and it's this story for the ages there's another song that's one of my favorites that's called nap time and literally that's it in the chorus he's saying it's time to take a nap and the lyrics are funny they're honest they're real and the music is fucking crazy and really exciting I, i just there's no other band that sounds like this and yet they have a lot of the signature elements of a lot of my influences at the same time. So it's just taking all these styles and throwing them up in a blender in a great way. So I highly recommend Pears. It's spelled like the fruit, P-E-A-R-S, and it's their self-titled record, so good luck finding that. But you can go to Fat Records and, and get it there. Really, really fun album to listen to. Next up is another guest on the show. This is Illogic from Weightless Recordings. You may know him from the Super Duty Tough Work podcast. You may know him from Greenhouse. And this is his first full-length, self-produced album called Autopilot. And, you know, I really gushed about this on the interview, you know, much like I felt about A Change in Mantra, which was his EP last year, as well as Superstition's EP, Sacrifice, which was my number one pick for last year. It's some grown-up, honest hip-hop, and it's some timeless boom-bap. You know, it doesn't sound old-school necessarily, but it has all these classic elements in it that I really appreciate. He's pushing himself in more melodic territory as well, so not only as a producer, as a beatmaker, the songs sound fantastic as a mixer they sound fantastic right but he's also taking his vocals and pushing that in uh, a new way and so I was really impressed by this record at first listen and it's something that I've put on quite a bit since then I still think out of this world which is the most like singy, songy sort of vibe out of all of them is an amazing track that's a standout single He's got another great track that's just uh, trading bars with Blueprint and Superstition that's really, really good. I mean, if you were at all a fan of you know authenticity in hip-hop and lyricism and storytelling, this is really a strong album front to back. I don't think there's any, no filler, no skippable songs really on any of these albums that i've discussed so far i mean this is a front to back listen something that you can enjoy and something that you know the logic lyrics i compared to casuals in that they're both very dense and there's something in there that you can get in repeat listens or there's something that you might notice for the first time and rewind and listen to that line again and make like, oh man i never got the double meaning there you know there's just so much jam packed into these songs and yet they're still fun to listen to. It's not like beating you over the head with some, Oh, I'm really smart. Listen to me, talk, listen to my perspective. It's just very like honest, it's conversational and it's really eloquent. I mean, he's remains one of the top lyricists from, you know, that turn of the century, uh, generation of, of artists who came out at that time. And, um, you know, this is a highlight in his discography for sure. So check out a logic, autopilot i realize i haven't been numbering these uh so coming in at number six is an album that came out yesterday from the time i'm recording this i put this off as long as i could to make sure all these late release albums get in to the list so i can actually fucking hear them but i couldn't put it off much longer and so this is one of my all-time favorite bands the first A punk band I ever saw live. First ska band I ever saw live. This is Less Than Jake. They are back with a full length called Silver Linings. In preparation for this, and just because it's fucking good, I've listened to this five times already. And uh, it is really, really enjoyable. I put it on four times that first day. And uh, again this morning while I was making breakfast and stuff. And... You know, this is their first album without their longtime drummer, Vinny, who, from my understanding, I thought he wrote a lot of the lyrics as well. And so I was anticipating more of a growing Pains record, I guess. And that is not the case at all. This is a really strong release. I believe Roger produced it himself at his moat house studio in florida and that uh it was mixed and mastered at the blasting room i don't have my pre-order yet it arrives tomorrow based on the tracking so i may be wrong about that but i think that jason livermore said he had mixed this if i remember correctly and it sounds fantastic maybe the only thing i could knock it for is like the vocals are very tuned like a little too tuned there's a couple Parts where uh, you know drops out a cappella and they always have great harmonies, and it just sounds like way over the top <laughs> on the auto tune. But, uh, man, fantastic songwriting, they just still sound as fresh as ever. I mean, some of these songs I feel like could have come off Borders and Boundaries in 2000 or Anthem in 2003. Uh, one of my favorites, Dear Me, is uh, an upbeat, you know, punk song. I feel like there's maybe more punk than ska on this record i think see the light uh, their last album had a little more ska to it maybe gainesville florida did as well but i really really enjoy this again that song dear me chris sounds just as young and hungry as he did on uh anthem you know it, it some of these songs are just classic less than jake and uh Really, yeah, all of it's classic, less than Jake, but I mean, in terms of my brain, I'll try to be like, oh, this song's almost like it could have been a, written for this other album that I love, you know? Roger, the bass player, his voice always stood out after, like sort of beginning with Hello View, but everything after that, and his voice got really clean and pure and almost has this, like, he's like the Steve Perry of ska punk, you know? He has just this, angelic voice that cuts through the mix and he hits these beautiful high notes i feel like he has a tendency to steal the show sometimes with his voice or even with his harmonies Uh, they're so fun but uh man chris really plucked at my heartstrings on this album too because the song bill and granted i'm listening to this for the first time uh, on my computer while I'm at work taking phone calls and so I'm kind of listening in between customers, and then I hear this kind of low in the mix bill no, Bill," in like one hit of music, and I was like, "Oh shit, I was like all," oh. and I look and the song is t- titled "Bill," and I recently heard Bill Stevenson on Krista makes podcast, uh, where they're talking about songwriting and and you know even though I saw these guys live together all and Less than Jake in 1998, 1999, something like that. And they've been longtime friends. Bill's produced records for them, mixed for them. And still hearing Chris talk to him, you know, he was like beside himself. He's still like the biggest fan. And I love that because I remain forever indebted to the artists who inspired me. And I, I still love their music so much, and it's so precious to me. And, you know, that's why I place such a value on actually collecting the the physical stuff. You know, these guys changed my life. And this song is such a beautiful tribute. And there's a line in the chorus that's like, why wait till someone's gone? Uh, I'm paraphrasing again because this is brand new to me. But why wait till someone's gone to honor them, basically? You know, let them know while they're still around. And that was a sentiment that I was feeling really strongly about when I wrote the Daydream album, you know, and I wrote, like, a tribute to my mom and some of the things that she had gone through to give me a good life, you know, and here's one of my favorite artists paying tribute to one of my favorite artists, and uh, it just hit me, man. It's so powerful. The lyric, it's just a well-written song. I love everything about it, and then they close out with So Much Less. I think it's only a 12-song album, but uh, So Much Less follows it so strong that when it's over you're like oh that's the end of the record and it's such a satisfying ending that also leaves you wanting more you know it's like the perfect length that they really got the balance right on this album so if you're at all a fan of less than jake in practically any era i would highly recommend this shit. it may be even higher on my list if it had come out more than you know 24 hours ago so Check out Silver Linings. I can't say enough good things about it. All right. Now we're getting into the top five. you ready? Getting to the best of the best. This is uh, one that I had a hard time with going back and forth with Less Than Jake. I discovered these bands very much back-to-back in my middle school days. And... I won't say anything else Number five Goldfinger Never Look Back I still Listen to Goldfinger's second album Hang Ups More than 90% of anything Else that I own I Really feel the lyrics On that record John is an incredible songwriter John Feldman incredible producer. He also went in a very pop direction. You know, he was producing for the Goldfinger Records. He got Rubik Fish signed. He was working in that world. And then he signed The Used, who was really exciting to me at that time. Then he signed Mest and Good Charlotte and Story of the Year. And he started really going on the, the pop side of the pop punk and then became like a full-fledged i think he even did like one direction or something or maybe it's five seconds or something i don't know he but he's he's really gone in a pop direction become like this big shot uh, major label record producer and done very well for himself but when they came back with the knife the album they dropped i think three years ago i mean it is that same Goldfinger you know and love, you know, the punk is not lost on this dude, just because he can crank out some, uh, Ashley Simpson songs or whatever, you know, uh, the dude is, uh, really, really still got a deep love for this stuff. And that album was sort of a reunion, but it was sort of, um, John Feldman and friends, you know, you had Travis Barker on the drums instead of Darren, and, you know, you've got, Mike Herrera on the bass from MXPX, you know, and and kind of just assembled a band calling it Goldfinger, but it had so much of that. I mean, you can't deny that John really, he's got his fingers in every little part of that band. So it really felt good. And with the exception of like one or two songs, I remember like Orthodontist Girl or something being really, a little bit too bubblegum for me. Um, You know, that was a strong record. And this one, even better. Uh, Never Look Back. <laughs> well, I thought it was funny because I looked at the, the album cover, and it's a real-life photograph of a person cosplaying the like spacesuit girl from the first record, and it's called Never Look Back. I was like, well, that's kind of funny. But it just opens right out of the gate with that classic, fast pop punk, and it's really Everything from, I would say, their third or fourth album, like Stomping Grounds to Open Your Eyes, like from sort of that era on, they just sound like they sound. Goldfinger has not changed at all. I mean this as a compliment. The the second track, just like they did on The Knife, uh, they go back into Ska. They give you little flavors of everything that they've got. You know, California On My Mind is sort of like a reprise of Tijuana Sunrise from the last one. Nothing to me is, I think, the shortest song on the record and immediately grabbed me right out of the gate, just like with the riff, the tempo, the attitude and the vocals. And I, th- I thought as soon as the chorus started playing, Cause I was like, oh, this is my favorite song so far. And then when the chorus started playing, and he's like, so fuck you and fuck that. And I was like, okay, now if I say to someone, this is my favorite song, they're like, oh, of course, it's because it's the one where they're all yelling, fuck this, fuck that. I'm like, no, but really, uh, just right even before I heard that, right from the beginning, that is the kind of shit that I love. You know, I still think back to like some of the fast shit they did on uh, like Stomping Ground, the end of the day. I think that was a really good example of them doing fast pop punk really, really well. Or, you know, other stuff on Stomping Ground that's really, really catchy, like uh, Counting the Days. On the next record, Open Your Eyes, a song like January. Really, really, really catchy song. That is sort of the vibe of this record. If you know their their past work and those songs uh, ring a bell to you, that is what you're getting with this album. It is just front to back, even more consistent than The Knife was really 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 strong songwriting you know again like the less than jake thing and, and just with john's background you know it's a little more auto-tune and stuff than i i prefer but i mean it is so well done and there's so much love in this record i can't stop listening to it like when i listened to less than jake four times yesterday i listened to this album twice in between too because uh it's been out out only a week longer and i cannot stop playing it this was um both this And Silver Linings were albums that I I pre-ordered and the CDs aren't here yet, but they send you a download with it. So I got to at least check it out. And I'm so grateful because I, I can't imagine how inaccurate this list would be if I hadn't got the download for Never Look Back and Silver Linings, because these albums are both absolutely phenomenal. If you come from my generation, you know, late 90s or early 2000s, man, it's uh, this is as good as it gets. You know, I never thought, like, if you asked me in year 2000, when I'm listening to Stomping Ground and going, whoa, this is so good in eighth grade, you know, be like, hey, would you guess that these guys are still putting out shit in your top five 20 years from now? Like, no, probably not. I mean, you think about long-running bands like that. You think about, like, Metallica or the Rolling Stones or Aerosmith or something like that. And so many of those older acts are, like, more legacy acts. You know, Metallica still drops great records, but, like, for the most part, a lot of those bands are just kind of coasting and playing the old shit. But God damn it, John Feldman, you still capture our hearts. I love this stuff that you're doing. I think anything for me to really disparage on this would be nitpicky i mean i think there's a pre-chorus in one of the songs i think there's a lyric in uh one of the choruses i mean just the most minuscule things but the closer of this album standing on the beach is a soaring melody john's voice has not aged a day they got their original uh, guitar player charlie paulson back in the band This just feels so good, and it ends on such a high note, both literally and metaphorically. But, like, really, this band hasn't aged a day. It's so much fun to listen to. Feldman is still in top form. Uh, There was one great song called The Best Life. It's an awesome love song, and it's got this big anthemic chorus, and then the last time the chorus repeats, it cuts down just to... uh, like him and an acoustic guitar really quietly. And it reminds me of the big climax of A Star Is Born. Lady Gaga is belting the song out and it's so emotional and dramatic. And then it cuts to Bradley Cooper in the studio when he's writing the song and he's like kind of half singing it under his breath. And it's just such a touching moment. And he, he does that same trick on the end of uh, The Best Life and it's, it's really great. But yeah, the whole album is just is fantastic. Never Look Back from Goldfinger, that is number five. Coming in at number four is basically my favorite band next to Metallica, and that is the Smashing Pumpkins. I absolutely am obsessed with Billy's songwriting, with Jimmy's drumming. I mean, everything that they've ever put out, I have and listened to. That simple, massive body of work, tremendously inspiring this band, how they continue to reinvent themselves, and and so quickly, too. I mean, no two records sound alike, and they've been doing this for 30 years. I mean, that's just such an impressive feat. Their last two albums were strong, though some of my least favorite. You know, I think there were really great songs, and a lot was made, Of their last album shiny and oh so bright because they got james eha back in the band and they got jimmy chamberlain back in the band but i mean jimmy had been mostly in the band on and off since they reunited in 2007 anyway so i mean that wasn't really as big of a return to form as they made it out to be the one before that monuments to an elegy was a little more out of left field had some electronic elements, was a little more pop, but it was still a guitar record. This album is called Sear. It's spelled C-Y-R. Those last two were eight songs apiece, I think. This new one is 20. And not only that, they announced a double album that's a follow-up to Melancholy and to Machina. Again, just the prolificacy, but also with the quality. I mean... Billy's solo albums that he's put out under William Patrick Corgan the last uh, two or three years, some of the best songs he's ever written. I mean, he's still at the top of his game. As a singer, he's never sounded better. His voice has so much more nuance, so much more control. The way he's singing even older songs has elevated them. And this album is very much a vocal album the way that it's mixed it's right up front and center but it's not in the way that like zeitgeist people didn't like the mix of that album because it was like a hard rock album with a huge pop vocal mix right this album is very much like restrained grooves more like 1979 very simple drum patterns it's not a big jimmy chamberlain flashy album You have three guitarists in this band. You have Corrigan, Jeff Schroeder, and James Eha. And, you know, they're all bringing their own style to the table. But the mix is very much vocal heavy. We have, for the first time, these rich layers of backup vocals, harmonies, textural stuff from Katie Cole and Sierra Swan, which really enriches the incredible melodies on this album. You know, where Billy's pushing his voice in new ways, they take that to a whole other level with this this collaboration vocally. And then the last thing I'll mention sonically, which is really the first thing you'll notice when you hear it, is a lot of synths and keyboards. And that is my least favorite thing in a rock band pretty much. I don't have any connection to it. It doesn't really mean anything to me unless you're doing like Trent Reznor does where it's like big guitars and disgusting, nasty, big keys, you know, synths. I like that. You know, I like when the Beastie Boys use big, nasty synths. But in terms of like airy pads and more 80s sound and shit, like that means nothing to me at all and I dislike it. That said, the songs on this are so well written and the vocals are right up front, I'm hearing the song, if that makes sense. I'm not hearing the production first and foremost. When I watched the music video, I was like, oh, this is very digital. <laughs> you know, This is a much different vibe. I hope I like this record. And uh, again, once I put it on the big stereo, it's like, wow. These, like you are washed over in vocals. And though I would like a mix that was more emphasis on guitars and less on the keys, I think this album is so well done that I could put aside my own preferences and really just enjoy this. I mean, again, coming off the heels of these solo albums, I really feel like this is just another evolution of, you know, Billy sitting there with a the guitar and just cranking out some exciting new melodies. And there's 20 songs. He does like Q&As on Instagram almost every day, and it's awesome. He has received some criticism for the length of it, saying that it's it's too long. But, I mean, he's a prolific artist. I really like it. I think at the very least, uh, up until the the last or second to last song, I mean... It is so consistent. Another thing that really drives it home that grounds it is this great distorted bass that he plays that locks in the rhythm section so much. And so it's not like a huge, powerful, punchy drum mix or anything, but like just that four on the floor groove and some crunchy bass lines again tie it enough to the familiar pumpkins rock vibe and i I mean i loved adore i like the future embrace i like a lot of uh you know the more experimental pumpkin stuff as well as the big angry rock stuff but um this album is just so consistent and so beautiful melodically vocally i highly recommend it really i mean it's it's something that doesn't compare to anything they've ever done and I think after you know 30 or almost 30 years as a band that's so unique that's so rare and um I'm just really impressed with this album I've listened to it a lot and for a 20 song album that's saying something I've put it on time and time again and this has only come out I think since Thanksgiving so like I had less than Jake come out this weekend I had Goldfinger come out the week before that, and Smashing Pumpkins come out the week before that. So maybe you could tell the uh, order is also corresponding with the uh, release date, so maybe if I had a little longer to listen to some of these, I'd have more to say on them. But I highly recommend Smashing Pumpkins sear, and I really can't wait to uh, hear what they've got cooking up next because if it's anything on this level of quality, especially being a a spiritual sequel to my favorite album of all time. I think it's going to be really something special. So check this one out. Now we are into the top three. This is my favorite rap album of the year. This is R.A. The Rugged Man. All My Heroes Are Dead. And he dropped in 2013 probably my favorite album of the year then Um, i wasn't doing this show back then so i don't know if i ranked him maybe on facebook but he is bringing an element of technical rapping you know like Gift of gab or letyrix or tech nine or something but he is doing it in the classic battle heavy vein that i love so much that album really blew me away and this one is just that but more refined i mean he is coming right out of the gate with hard rhymes funny punchlines technical patterns that are are just fantastic and again exciting for me creatively stimulating to listen to a guy like this do his thing this is 20 songs again it's very long And I don't think there's a single song I would skip on this. Some of his most famous stuff is storytelling. And, you know, a song like Uncommon Valor, where he's talking about his father's experience in Vietnam. You know, that was one of his biggest songs ever. He's got a song on this that is from the perspective of a school shooter. There's actually two similarities between this and Music to be Murdered by from Eminem, they both have that song um, and they're written in different ways, Eminem is more it was based on the Vegas shooter, the guy who was like the sniper at the concert or whatever and um, it is a little more I guess palatable and the RA one is just very, very real they're both from the perspective of a mass shooter but this one is just disturbing to listen to you know it's sort of like when you listen to you know in high school and you hear immortal technique dance with the devil or something you're like oh my god it's really really heavy um that's really the only song that um maybe i don't love listening to but not for any fault of its own i mean it it Accomplishes everything it sets out to do And it makes you feel all the emotions On uh, both sides of that conversation This album has some great features You've got Slug from Atmosphere Ghostface, Cool G Rap Afro is on another level Uh, The song Gotta Be Dope I remember hearing R.A. talk about How Afro did his feature You know, he's kind of R.A.'s protege and was like yo this is a really good verse but like don't you want to like outshine me <laughs> you know i know you can and he's like all right fine and so he redid it and so i mean it's on the hibbity skibbity dibbity dibbity you know like crazy fast uh, syllable shit but like these guys are two of the best at it and they got dj jazzy jeff on there cutting it up and um man just one of the most enjoyable songs I mean, everything about this record. Actually, Carnage, speaking of scratches, my good friend, does some of the uh, beatbox scratching on this record. Pretty cool. He uh, appeared on this. He appeared on uh, Aesop's The Impossible Kid a couple of years back. I mean, it's nice to see you know, some of the people that he is getting to play shows with, much like myself, but I'm asking them to be on my record, right? He's getting asked by them. To appear on theirs. And I think that's pretty fucking cool. I would actually love to hear him rap with some of these dudes because, uh, <laughs> I don't know if they want to go up next to carnage. It's great. But, um, another one of my favorites is, uh, Inspector deck. They just dropped a video for that Ed Koch, New York song. And, um, man, uh, in the last few years with Zarface especially has showed me that Inspector Deck is the most underrated in the Wu-Tang Clan, and I loved hearing him here. Probably my favorite song or one of my very favorite songs on this record is Hate Speech. There's no features on this. It was just sort of a dissertation on political correctness and the speech policing that we do. I really, really like it. It is a song that I had been taking mental notes on and writing in my head for quite some time. And I've obviously said things like this on record, but I thought the second verse in that song really summed it up very well. You know, this is a dude who says outlandish shit a lot, you know, kind of like Eminem. And so I don't necessarily agree with everything he said, but I get so much joy out of listening to him do his thing. And I love, you know, provocative humor. And at this technical level of skill, it's so satisfying. It's so enjoyable. So I'd highly recommend this album. All my heroes are dead. Just a fantastic album. And if you like hip hop at all, this is undeniable. Absolutely. So now we are in my, did I say top three? Yeah, I guess it is. This is my top two, number two pick. Okay. Another podcast guess. Any guesses? Death by Stereo. Let me tell you, it was so hard not to give this number one. <laughs> I listened to this album so many fucking times. It's a band that I love that never fails to uh, inspire me. And I absolutely fucking love what they did with this album. When they came back with uh, Black Sheep of the American Dream, I mean, it was raw and Pissed off and you know it had all these virtuosos just shredding on it but it had this at the same time really stripped down punk rock quality about it and reminded me of their first record and i just loved it and this one came back with uh a little bit bigger production which i i like you know the the guitars sort of have that high-end edge to it again a little more attack like that uh, album we were talking about on the podcast with paul minor um into the valley of death i mean they've had some of the meanest sounding thrash guitars ever and they uh, brought that back big time on this album the opening two songs which i think were the first two singles actually uh, are just a one-two punch of everything i love about this band fucking um mike's crazy drumming the thrash metal guitars Ephraim's gnarly voice he remains probably my favorite screamer ever I don't know like this dude's got so much intensity in his voice I love it the first song is talking about like no value for lives just for dividends you know we spit on families we spit on immigrants you know and the second song is talking about this sort of cult of hate and you know your hatred is your purpose a free gun with your purchase you know and and i just it's still got that that wit that their records always had that sort of you know jelly biafra attitude that comes with it that they've always put in their songs um but it just i i love it it captures the time we live in they also do some interesting things with their pushing in a little more progressive than they have before like mass self-destruct is a really fun song playing with time signature and just really intense fucking vocals um they redid a song from uh oh boy i can't remember the name that one they did on uh surge from uh, system of a down they had a an album out on his label they redid one of the songs from it called i sing for you and uh that was really cool because i it was one of the only albums it was the only album of theirs that i uh liked and um you know didn't immediately fall in love with but uh it's a hell of an anthemic song so i liked that they brought it back i don't really know what else to say about this band and just that it's the perfect marriage of raw hardcore punk rock and the emotion of that with the virtuosity and uh, the musicianship that comes with uh, metal and thrash and, you know, uh, prog and, you know, it's so, I don't know. The band just has this very specific blend of styles that always does it for me. And, you know, with Paul's production, Really elevating it, making it huge and fucking mean. You know, the band really just sounds on fire. Really, the only thing that I can knock it for at all is I feel like it opens so strong that it's like impossible to keep that pinnacle of awesomeness the entire time. But uh, again, I've listened to this more than fucking anything I we'll just put it practically on repeat. Uh, Never get tired of this album. I will put it this way. This is my number one studio album of the year, if that gives you a hint at where we're going here. Okay, so Death by Stereo, we're all dying just in time. And even just saying the name, I hear the, the little sample they put in at the end of like the little kids singing, the world is great, things are fine, and the fucking drums go fucking apeshit. And the way that it ends with those children singing as well, that we're all dying just in time. Man, it's an eerie ending. It's, again, perfect for the culture that we live in, man, where everything is so fucking backwards. Oh, God, there's another great song. I can't think of which one it is now, where uh, they have this big extended... Like kind of slow jam where the guitars are just ringing out huge, and the whole band is singing "All Right, Fucking Nazis," you know. It's just, mm, it's it's good. It's good. It makes you feel good. And since me and Kellen can't get together for Dead Fucking Serious, I've been writing songs. And you know, this room is just too small. We can't be distanced in here and record. And you know, he's got a baby to worry about and everything. And uh, I'm just not letting people into my home either. So uh, Mike is uh, helping us out by uh, recording the drum parts for some of these songs we're working on. So uh, hopefully you guys will get to hear some of that. But really excited. Again, this band, this lineup is uh, unfuckable, as they say. Highly recommended. We're all dying just in time. Death by motherfucking Stereo. Now, the number one pick of the year. Does anyone know what my favorite band is? Oh uh, shit, I said it earlier, Metallica, number one. You might be thinking, did they drop a new album this year? Well, I mentioned this at the top of my 2019 episode, that I had gone to the movie theater and watched a live broadcast of S&M 2, and that I could not wait for this fucking album to come out. Well, my friends, it is here and I would be lying if I did not say that I listen to this more than anything. It's a uh, double-disc CD and DVD release, Uh, so I have listened to it a shitload. I have watched it a shitload to the extent that if I can't sleep, I might just go to the living room, put on that DVD, and fall asleep to some comfort food of Metallica because this shit is fucking awesome. They dropped a live video every single day for their entire world tour and I watched damn near all of them every day as soon as they would drop and then this summer when everything was locked down and people were out of work and everyone was home they started Metallica Mondays where they would actually put together a full pro shot concert. Many of them from their recent world tour but from all over the place every decade I watched every single one of those every Monday, and then sometimes I'd watch another one or a DVD in between. So, I mean, I, I was on board well before they announced that this was coming, and I was a huge fan in 1999 of the first S&M record, and I thought that it worked in some ways, and there were also some songs that didn't quite do it. And so, like, on the DVD... You could change the audio setting and watch it with a band only mix where you can't even really hear the symphony. So, like, if you want to watch Battery or some of the more like heavy, fast, thrashy ones, you can watch that without the symphony and uh, still hear their awesome performance because they were really for the 90s, the late 90s, anyway, that was the top of their game. I mean, they were super tight. The Bob Rock mix was huge. James's voice was so clear and powerful, you know, in that style that he had evolved into singing away from the raspy stuff. And he had actually learned to sing. I mean, it was really incredible. And they had dropped uh, a couple new songs for it. No Leaf Clover. Uh, We get that and some of the ones from the first time, but Michael Kamen has passed away. And so we have uh, new people at the helm of the San Francisco symphony. And this is an anniversary is a 20 year anniversary of that first set, but they also wanted to push it into new territory. So you've got the same openers of ecstasy of gold and the call of a Cthulhu. You know, it's still just the absolute best way to start the show with uh, a couple of instrumentals and, and really build up the tension and then, uh, we just dig right into for whom the bell tolls and, um, all bets are off, man. I love the Greg Fiddleman mix. He's been mixing their last, uh, handful of live albums as well as their, uh, last couple studio albums. And I think it's a much better balance than the first one. You know, the first one sounded huge and in your face, but, um, I feel like this one just makes you feel more like you were there and, uh, What they do with the new songs is most exciting to me, though. And they bring in The Day That Never Comes from Death Magnetic. That album is one that I really like, but it's not necessarily my go-to for them. It has some really impressive and Justice For All style arrangements to the songs. But what this version shows me is how much heart was also in that album, especially in the lyrics. And The Day That Never Comes, I imagine this would be a divisive song lyrically when it came out, because he's saying something like, love is a four letter word and never spoken here. Lines like that that are not necessarily typical uh, Metallica lines, right? But when you hear this performance, and James on the eve of checking into rehab, which none of us knew, was right around the corner um he puts so much emotion that the weight of those words and talking about being neglected and abused as a child it, it really really resonates on the second disc they actually do a bandless basically a cappella, but with the symphony version of the unforgiven three which was also on death magnetic and That is absolutely my favorite moment of this whole show. I mean, uh, it's so weird seeing James standing there without a guitar, band members, nowhere to be seen, but um, his performance is beautiful. It is heartfelt. It is vulnerable. It is powerful. This is just a band that I have followed my whole life, and um, I have so much love for them. And to see them continue trying new things and, and pushing outside of the box, and being so fearless to do whatever they believe in—that's why I look up to these guys so much. You know, they bring back some of the favorites from the first one, like "The Outlaw Torn," "Wherever I May Roam," one, like the last like four or five songs or something are all from the original s and uh, the original s <laughs> m But S&M 2, you know, they throw enough curveballs in there. I think the biggest surprise for everybody was Anesthesia, when the string bass player for the symphony came out and did the Cliff Burton distorted bass solo from Kill em All. And I was fortunate enough to see them on the World Wired tour two years ago. And Rob Trujillo actually played that solo. And I was blown away. I never thought that I would witness such a thing. It was, um, I was like, bring a tear to your eye, stop your heart kind of moment in the show. I did not see that coming. And then to see this performed with a bow on an upright through uh, this pedalboard doing the wah shit and everything and this beautiful fluidity this improvisation that he brought to it because when you watch cliff live i mean he never played the same shit note for note he would you know really feel it in the moment almost like a john frusciante solo you know they're never the same thing twice you know um it's all feel and so he just does this beautiful rendition of pulling teeth and then Lars actually comes out, and this is the first time ever, I'm told, that they performed the whole song since Cliff has died. Actually, I remember one time I was watching the DVD, and that song was on, and I was very, like, feeling the emotion of the moment. And my wife started talking to me. She walked up behind the couch and started talking to me. And I, I felt bad. I didn't realize I kind of snapped. I was like, can you can you wait, wait till the Cliff Burton tribute is over? I was like uh, upset that someone would talk in the middle of that song. And then uh, I realized I was being a dickhead. But uh, yeah, it's, it really got me. Um, there's also an acoustic version of a St. Anger song. They actually cover every single record on this performance, which is really impressive. I think they took one that they had done from like an acoustic charity show and mix it in with the symphony and went over great. Takes a song that I have actually no connection to, in fact, very little even memory of, and makes it fantastic. I think maybe the really only moment where they fell flat was they open the second half of the show, symphonies playing by themselves, and then Metallica comes out. It's one thing to take the epic Metallica instrumentation and build on top of it, but to take this sprawling piece of melody and then make Metallica come up with a rhythm part for it didn't quite hit me in the same way that everything else did. But this set list is impressive. Again, it is absolutely fearless and um, it embodies everything I love about this band. So that is my number one pick for 2020 and S&M 2. So real quick, I'm going to read back my top 10. I have Metallica. SNM 2, Death by Stereo, We're All Dying Just in Time, R.A., The Rugged Man, All My Heroes Are Dead, The Smashing Pumpkins, Sear, Goldfinger, Never Look Back, Less Than Jake, Silver Linings, Illogic, Autopilot, Pears, Self-Titled, Broadway Calls, Sad in the City, Angelo Biafra and the Guantanamo School of Medicine, Tea Party Revenge Porn. All right. That is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for supporting this season of the show. Again, I've had so many fantastic guests this year. It's really been amazing. As always, please help spread the word, take a little screenshot, give us a five-star rating and review. Really appreciate that. I'm probably going to take a short break while we prep more guests, but I've got more on the way. This is a song from my mixtape fighting words. It's called Pander Express.
1: Crack mine! No, I'm binary. find me under Kendra Sunderland London public libraries. Wait, why is everybody's eye glaring at me? Like I'm Larry, David, playing Bernie in the primary. Finally, in my digital form, firing cum shots, right into the eye of the storm. Primal energy, anonymity, prying the doors, providing a source, courting a maniacal force. pride of viral links and topical themes. A lot of us admired having these impossible dreams. Superman sitting on top of a metropolis scene. there are fiends for convenient technological means. you on a dropping all of your. Problems honest, you only onus is the obstacle. no matter if it's honest. Adopt a persona for the fans to ingest, the Donnie Brasco asshole, the Panda Express. Empty sack and all, but I can flow without the ball Cleaner on the beat to wiping ice or purple alcohol After all, you know what's set to rhyme and blazing I'ma wanna beat too ham like Eddie flavin' No matter the time of day, I'ma find a way to fight the face of fake as a flame the hideaways then a mightily clock can't fly away. Finally glide to a park bench where I writerly write a page to plague the unfortunate soul disproportionately morbid and exorbitant troll. You in the orbit of a firstborn ordered to overthrow. Chop you down in a soul, wood shop to open toe. Major league, no matter what they believe. Maybelline, born with it, rhyming everything from agency to Z. Amazingly, I'm back. lumbar's in the studio,
0: never out of pocket like a young marsupial. Uh.